information about classic Dungeons and Dragons. As usual, DM Mike's here, along with DM Glenn. And you're supposed to play it our way, okay? Hi, folks. I'll, I'll do the best I can. <laughs> DM Liz. Hello. And our new guy, DM Jim Wampler, savior of the universe. Yeah. Greetings, uh... programs. I think the hazing is over by now. We can let him just be a part of the program. And our special <laughs> guest host... Jim Ward. Special guest host. Cool. Yeah. So is, it gonna... he, so is he DM James? Okay. Yeah, that'll work. DM James. Or DM or Warden. That... Or DM Warden. Which would you prefer? Well, if it was the Warden, it would be GM for Game Master. <laughs> Wouldn't true. want to break any copyrights that might cost me $11 million. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I hate it when that happens. Don't well, that's you? why I cover my butt on these shows by mentioning the copyright. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. A C&D is not a good start to a day. <laughs> I hate those things. Just remember, Save or Die Podcast is not affiliated with any group or individual that might involve a lawsuit. And don't forget, Crown Royal is the official dice bag of the OSR. Void where prohibited. Any resemblance to persons or game systems, living or dead, is purely satirical. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are pretty funny. I hope you enjoyed that. That's probably as funny as we get, but anyway. Somebody had to be funny. (laughs) All right. I'm, I'm, now I'm restricted by law not to be any funnier. <laughs> Speaking of that, Glenn, we'll go to your favorite section of the show. What have we been doing? Not a dang thing, actually. Um, <laughs> well, which is just, everybody it, loves to hear. It's one of those things where my basic D and D game kind of got canceled because of weather and things we have to do with kids and parties and things like that on all round. Um, but the closest thing I did was I played a little Mutants and Masterminds with my uh, grandson the other day. He created a character, and he didn't know what base of operations meant because he doesn't read all that many comic books. And I told him, it's like, you know, the Avengers are in New York and Alpha Flight's in Canada and stuff. So where do you want your hero's base of operations to be? He said, he looked at me, he said, New Jersey. New Jersey? Okay. You've, never okay. been, you've never been past Oklahoma or California. How do you know about New Jersey? He's from Joyzy. Okay, fine. He's from Joyzy. That's not it. <laughs> I'd love to know what made him think Jersey. <laughs> Nine years old, New Jersey. Joyzy. <laughs> what you been up to? I don't know. Growing up in Oklahoma, he may look up to New Jersey. Well, somebody has to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what you been up to, Jim? Wow. Uh, I hit the lottery in gaming. I just uh, fresh from Gary Con where I got to uh, – play with everybody except uh, 
Jim Ward. I overbooked myself, and Jim kindly let me bow out of his game on Sunday, but uh, got to uh, play Gamma World with Michael Curtis, uh, AD&D with Frank Menser, uh, got killed in Tim Cask's OD&D game. What a uh, surprise. <laughs> I got a little uh, ahead of myself because I survived his convention game here in Cincinnati, but uh, you know, nothing uh, can win when you uh, roll bad. Did you know a universal antidote is of no help whatsoever if you're unconscious? Really? <laughs> I, I found that out. <laughs> and lots of adventures at GaryCon, and then I had like a major uh, life achievement goal unlock when I got to game with my fellow podcasters here on the podcast in a Skype uh, BX game. Yeah, oh, yeah I forgot week. about that. And it was a hoot. Was it? Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, last night with our Dungeon Crawl Classics campaign, so I'm all gamed up. Cool. What have you been doing, Liz? Oh, like you don't know. <laughs> well, we had the Skype game, once again, run by Angry Monk, um, basic expert. Not this Demon. time, yes, not Teeman. <laughs> Nothing against Teeman, but we have a game with him. Um, this time, my elf did not die, so bonus. Um, and it was a lot of fun, basically, all four of us were in the game, so it was the Save or Die podcast game. <laughs> did that get recorded, uh, by the way? I don't no. think it did. Good. Um, yeah, so we did that, and this isn't basic, but yesterday Mike and I played in our weekly second edition AD&D game. So that's pretty much my gaming for the past couple of weeks. How about you, Mike? What she said... Except I got a little snarky during the 2E game, but, you know. What happened? Snarky? Snarky. I, I hate non-weapon proficiencies. I especially <laughs> like, I especially hate the way they've just been gone to the extreme in 2E, so, you know. What do I say at Thaco's Hammer? It's modular. <laughs> well, then, it's how our DM runs it. Possibly. It's like you're out. Do you have uh, nautical as a skill? Yes. Do you have seamanship? Yes. Do you have fishing? No. Well, you can't fish. Oh, fuck. He does that? <laughs> yes. And I, I'd stomp. And so out. I'm going on, and the, the next player, me, she's got, she's got fishing. And I'm just sitting there in the background going, ah, but is it line fishing or net fishing <laughs> or hand fishing or spear fishing? Because you don't specifically have the same. And scuba fishing, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you're the nautical guy. That's what gets me. <laughs> yeah, well. And since you're the 2E guy, Glenn, I'll, I'll stop now. Because oh, you, you, no, you haven't said anything I haven't heard before, so I don't worry. Shouldn't somebody it. just meteor swarm the water? <laughs> <laughs> uh, if only we were high enough level to do that. Just blade blade class fireball, drop in the water. Yeah. Or electrical. <laughs> um, Mr. Ward, what have you been doing? You know, I just finished a wonderful product called... Monty Hall's Lesser Tower of Doom. Ooh, sweet. Wow. The idea is to take low-level characters and walk through the tower and survive. And you promised lots of treasure, and you promised lots of death. (laughs) Not necessarily in that order. Exactly. (laughs) Your death or their death or more just a generic death? Well, I think generic death is the best way to put that. <laughs> but the idea is to pose a challenge using uh, Monty Hall's name in vain 
to uh, spur people on. Oh, I, I'm sure I could live through anything he can toss at me. And then when you don't, you're you're spurred to try it again a different way. <laughs> uh, well, for for our younger listeners, could you explain the term money hall? I have a well, question sure. about that later, but anyway. Well, when I was a young lad learning how to play D&D in 1974, I wanted to try running again, just like everybody does after they've played a while. And in my game, I had lots of treasure because I always liked the way people smile when they get treasure. But I was playing in front of Gary Gygax, and he scoffed at that notion and started calling me the Monty Hall DM. <laughs> well, because that was a I, game show host, right? That was a game show yes, host, yeah. Let's Monty make a deal. Hall. And uh, that's right. And uh, basically, I took it as a badge of honor. <laughs> and I started writing fun stories in Dragon Magazine about Monty Hall and his friends. <laughs> and so it's kind of grown up in the world has as a as a bad thing. If you're a Monty Hall referee, you give away way too much treasure, and soon your game goes out of control. But in the 30-plus years that I've been gaming, I have never had a game go out of control ever. <laughs> so, so no I matter do... how loaded up on magic items and weapons the party gets, you can still kill them. Yeah, well, yeah, it's kill true. them all. <laughs> he killed us yeah. all, Metamorphosis Alpha. And at the, when we were making our characters up, he said, you know, the sky's the limit. Anything you want, you can have as part of your equipment. And uh, we uh, still it, it, got killed. I, I couldn't have a death machine. Well, that is true. <laughs> I wish to apologize. Should've... And the next time you play with me, I'll give you a death machine. And it will kill you. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> under my control, right? Oh, well. You're going to have to say, yeah, he didn't say an ID card to go You're going to have to make int perception rolls whenever another character talks to you. Because, I'm sorry, I thought you said death machine. Uh-huh. Uh, exactly. Favorite game is Tune. That's all I'm saying. Hush up. <laughs> okay, well, Liz, do we have any emails this week? We do have emails. Our first email is from DM Scott, and he writes, Hey, Save or Die, I've been playing Dungeons & Dragons in one form or another for nearly 20 years. I began playing with 2E, worked my way forward as each new edition came out, and eventually backtracked and now play 1E almost exclusively. I am, however, interested in BASIC. As I have never played or ran BASIC, I was wondering where one should start. I'm a little confused by all the different versions and re-releases that have come out, i.e. Holmes, Moldvay, Mincer, etc. Could you please clear up what is what for a beginner and also advise me on which rule set would be the one to start with? Thanks in advance, DM Scott. Thanks, Scott. Um, well, you're going to get different... Yeah, this might be the wrong group to ask. You're going to have four or five different answers here. No, I was just thinking he wrote the right podcast for that question. <laughs> but we each have our favorite. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's going to be difficult to come to a consensus. Perhaps Ooh. perhaps James Ward will have to be the tiebreaker on this one. <laughs> oh, there we go, because I definitely have an opinion, too. Yeah. What's that? A buck you've been passed. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Right. Let's start with Jim. Who me? Okay. Um, I think the answer is uh, Cook Molde, 
because it's two little books. You can still pick them up pretty cheap on eBay or at half price books if you're lucky. And uh, it's just a nice, simple introduction to basic. And that'll run you to 14th level with the expert books. So. Yeah, and if you want to, you can you can you can move from that into the mentor books if you you know and, your characters start get, getting uh, to ridiculous levels. We never play much past twelve or fourteen. And if you want to do that, you get that BX companion out there that'll take you even further. Isn't that free, or is that? I don't know free? anymore. I thought it was either free or like really cheap, just a couple yeah, bucks. Cheap, twenty-seven bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, that can take you up past 14th. But that's a good choice. What about you, Mike? Ooh. Well, I guess I would have to know, is the, is he wanting something that still has a feel of AD&D, or is he really just wanting to try basic? Because if he's wanting something that still harkens back to AD&D, I would probably say either Holmes or Original. Oh, but brown books? Yeah. Okay. Um, if he's truly wanting to try something, you know, truly, quote-unquote, new or as newish, because as we know, classic D&D and 1E and AD&D are two completely different games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And nothing can be used with either one. Um, Sorry, then I have, then I have to, <laughs> I'd have to go along with uh, Moldvay Cook. In fact, I would probably say get the Moldvay book first, and if that works for you, go ahead and get the Cook Expert book. Um, or go to Labyrinth Lord and download it for free, and that's pretty much almost the exact same rules. And that that's gives a good you way idea. to try it out anyway. Yeah. yeah. How about you, Liz? Oh, I want you know, to. You know I'm going to say Holmes. Oh, yeah. Especially Aww. since – well, since he says he plays first edition almost exclusively now um, – I would say that Holmes is the version that would be the most familiar sounding to, you know, to him. Um, there's a few little differences here and there, but, you know, for the most part, you know, compatibility between the two is very, very strong. And it doesn't help, or it doesn't hurt, rather, I should say, that Holmes is what I started out with and remains my favorite. So, <laughs> okay. So, Neener. <laughs> well, for me, for me, although I'd like to lean towards BX because I find that rather functional and easy to get into, I'm going to say Metzer. When I say Metzer, I mean the Rule Cyclopedia. What a shock! <laughs> <laughs> One book, all the rules. Boom! There you are. Yeah, all the rules, all right. And now, DM James, give us the actual answer. Now, the actual answer is Metzer. <laughs> oh. and, I, and I say that because I'll give you a nice car analogy Holmes Model T Ford um, yeah the next one is definitely a Studebaker but our good friend Menser as as the game evolved actually you know from, from version to version to version and Frank did the best I think of, of taking all the fun new features that happened in the five or six years between the beginning and, and his writing Right. And turning it into a, a usable product for for on a readable level, which is a big deal for me. Holmes was pretty highfalutin, I thought. Um, but you guys are all very intelligent. See, that's why you like Holmes. But I have to say, for me, Menster is definitely the best one. I'm vindicated. You are indeed. Thank you. And if this was my other show, I would say take that, Vince. But it's not. So. But you just did. So. Okay. So. There you go. Hope that answers your question, Scott. 
Now tell me, where is the uh, the place where you can send your your uh, questions? Savor die podcast at gmail dot com. Thank you very much. I'm going to have to start looking at that. Oh, listen to podcasts. We we look forward to reading yes. your questions in the future. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> and if Jim Ward writes, what's up with that new guy on the podcast? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> your ignorance appalls me. See <laughs> <laughs> what you get when you use illustrators is what I'll say. <laughs> I've got to say, when I say say, I mean plug. Uh, if you can stand second edition, listen to Thaco's Hammer, too. Sure, sure. Yes, yes, of course I will, right away. <laughs> Thank you, sir. And on that tragic, awkward note, next email. <laughs> All right, our next email comes from Sebastian. And Sebastian writes, Hey, guys, thanks again for the awesome podcasts. You've been a great inspiration in my rediscovering classic D&D and AD&D. I really enjoyed episode 65. Looking back, it's scary to see just how influential movies, TV, and novels have been in my D&D experience, both from what the players as well as the DM bring to the game. I won't even count how many times someone has suggested the let's take out those guards, put on their uniforms, and then pretend to lead the demi-human as our prisoner into the compound. (laughs) Been there, done that. When it comes to monsters, I've had chest bursters and aliens thrown at my characters, as well as a predator-type being, mostly from a DM who loved dotting the campaign world with scrap with crashed spaceships. What an idea. That's pretty old school. We even stumbled along a Sarlacc in the Ilarum campaign setting, though the way it was revered and offered up sacrifices by a band of cultists the adventure did have almost Cthuloid overtones. One of the coolest weapons our DM regretted giving to the thief in our party was a bow, styled off the heart bow from the archer and the sorceress. I can't remember any stats, save that it had unlimited use and did a fair bit of explosive damage. Has anyone seen that? I I was going to say, I vaguely remember that title, but I can't remember anything about it now. I think I saw that bow used on Arrow just the other night. Hmm. Oh. Okay. Uh, if I was, if it was me, I'd give him Hank's bow from Dungeons & Dragons cartoon. There we go. That That's, was fun. That was one of my favorite <laughs> magical items. Hmm. <laughs> Um, He goes on to say, in a previous episode, Liz or Jim mentioned Time Bandits, and I'm tempted to create a map of sorts for a future adventure. The next ancient temple the players ransack, they'll find the map and exit, only to find themselves several thousand years in a more ancient past. Ooh. They'll have to touch it. It's pure (laughs) evil. Now, Now you're talking. (laughs) They'll have to negotiate several portals at select times to make their way back to their own period. In the course of the game, I'm sure the players will give me something to use for a nice twist or some surprises at the end. Going by his previous MO, one of the characters might discover that they are in fact descended from a romantic encounter they may have had in the past dimension. A lot more work to do here. Anyway, keep up the fantastic work. Hopefully, we'll hear from Vince, Crispy, or DM Julie in a future show. 
Sebastian. Yeah, we need Julie back. Don't you hate it when that happens, when you go back in time? And Man, I hate yeah. it when that happens. Every, <laughs> yeah, you know, every time I teleport 88 miles an hour or more, you know. Well, I, I applaud what Sebastian's doing there because that's the whole spirit of old school basic D&D. I mean, you don't need all those splat books and campaign settings. You and your players can sit down and just, you know, pull from whatever you like and create it yourselves. That's yeah. Right. That is right. I mean, good Lord, some levels of Castle Greyhawk were designed off Alice in Wonderland. I mean, <laughs> Ooh, how can you say that? <laughs> <laughs> Not a bad thing. <laughs> hey, that that's, that's that, contri- that contributed to me walking away for twelve years from D and D. So, those oh, two, really? Yeah, you, those two mods. You, I mean, Mister Mister like, Sludge Fortune. <laughs> you had a problem with the Alice in Wonderland level in D and D? Yes, I read Dungeon Land and Beyond the Magic Mirror, and it's like, no, I can't run this. I can't even read this. It's too silly. I'm going to play Champions. I see. Ouch. My first adventure was on Kong Island. Really? Is that the uh, B B ten? No, that was just Gary's castle. Oh, oh, yeah. Sorry. I think it did get turned into a module, but uh, I I had a lot of luck because I was always in on the early design efforts. Oh wow! Yeah. You were a standard playtester, huh? Exactly. Now, we didn't call them playtesters in that day. We called them players. <laughs> but they were playtesters. I'd call them, guinea, I'd call them guinea, guinea pigs, actually. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, I always found that amusing when I would read back in the late 70s, early 80s, The General from Avalon Hill, and there's always these game developers. and It's like, you're a playtester. Yeah. No, no, I'm a game well, developer. When we get to the right segment in the show, I have a question for Jim about playtesting something in Gary's campaign. Okay. Okay. Thanks for the warning, Jim. Advance <laughs> <laughs> notice. Any other emails? Our last email for this episode is from Buck Backup. <laughs> and Buck writes, at first I thought having three regular hosts was going to be a good thing. It meant the hosts would talk over each other less Not really a problem on the Sod podcast. But the addition of DM Jim is a wonderful compliment to the regular staff. Jim's wit and old school knowledge is refreshing and enlightening. The simple and insightful comments during episode 67 made me smile, think deeper, and appreciate the overall banter between the hosts. Well, Buck's half right about the (laughs) (laughs) wit. And your check's in the mail, Buck. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you so much. Please, please keep up the great work, and please don't make me wait so long between podcasts. This is my favorite podcast, so to heck with your day jobs. Your loyal <laughs> listeners need you. Just kidding about the day jobs. Thank you for your <laughs> fine work. DM Buck Backup. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, How often do you guys podcast? <laughs> Generally, we try every couple of weeks. I, th- oh. I thought we had a rule around here, don't praise the new guy. <laughs> well, Buck didn't get that memo, but it's okay, because oh. everything he said was true. And I lo- I'm stealing that name, by the way. It's going to be a character. <laughs> Buck Backup? Buck Backup, he's a fighter, yeah. Why do we call him Buck Backup? Because every time he sees a big monster, he backs up. <laughs> Buck Backup and Vic Shade. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. I can see that he comes into, he sees a green dragon, and you hear these, like, backup signals. Deep. 
I was thinking like his original character was Buck, and when he was killed, this was the next character. <laughs> That's even funnier. <laughs> okay, well, thanks for the emails. And as noted earlier, if you want to send us some information, email us at saverdiepodcast at gmail.com That's or right. call our voice line at 940-536-3763. You give out phone numbers? <laughs> yeah. We have a voice line. It's, it's just a voicemail line. It doesn't yeah. go yeah. to anybody's yeah. personal home. <laughs> That's <to> inconceivable. <laughs> Listen to the earlier shows. You hear Vince going, and our phone number, for these. Yeah. Actually, this is Jim's number. Again, it's part of the hazing process. Yes. <laughs> <New> Excellent. <laughs> All right. Well, without further ado, let's move into Game On. Okay, what happens in Game On? Game On! Here we are. and <laughs> Got the jump on you, Mike. <laughs> God, yeah, beat me to it. Anyway, here in Game On, we're going to talk to James Ward. Now the grilling about begins. various questions that have been provided from the listenership. Who, Uh-oh. About his gaming background and history. Because rumor has it, you used to do some gaming back in the past. I'm very old. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's not Glenn old, but yeah. Hey, 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 hey. But that's and, okay. And hey, we'll yeah. do this as a round robin, so everybody gets their questions in, and we'll start with DM Liz. Oh. All right. Well, our first question for you, James, is: What are your preferred games of today? Well, that's an excellent question, of course. I think uh, from from my own position, I have to say that I really love a game I invented called Dragon Lairds. Oh, I love I that can... one too. <laughs> oh, that's very kind of you. Yes, it's the a fantasy movie? board game. Mm-hmm. I consider it a masterwork of mine. Um, when I play role playing games, I pretty much always play A D and D, and no matter what version I play, I play uh, first edition. So if someone's playing fourth or a third or or this uh, mythical fifth, I'm playing first edition in that game. Good. Yay. (laughs) Keep it TSR. Keep it real. There we go. I worked there for 20 years, and I had a lot of fun, so I'm I'm stuck in the past. James Ward, a guy who knows what he likes. Yep. Yep. Question two. Jim, um... Do you like being behind or in front of the screen more? You know, that's a very interesting question. My my problem with that question is, while I like both, because I try to sell products, uh-huh. I normally get dragooned into being behind the screen as opposed to being a player. Um, because I'm at conventions trying to sell products. I understand. So I have to say, I have to say, I like I like both, um, but I've I spent Probably ten times more time as a referee than I have as a player. I still have my 14th level wizard from Gary Gygax's campaign. I, I don't think it's going to see much more action, but I still have it. And then there's this poor half-elf 
who uh, who lives on the Starship Warden. Oh no! Looking for a way to get off, but uh, so oh, far no. has had no way. Yeah. Oh boy. So that's me. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to say I like them both, but I've done the refereeing lots more. You've done the referee, but you, would you rather be playing? Um, see, that's another interesting question. <laughs> I, I, wow. I don't have a lot of patience. Do? Yes. I'm, I'm a chaotic good character in every single game I play, no matter what the rules, and I don't have a lot of patience. So what happens is, especially at a convention when I'm a player, uh-huh. soon everybody starts to hate me. <laughs> so that's kind of hard to take sometimes. So uh, I guess I guess I'm gonna say if I had to choose, I'd I'd choose a referee. Okay. Well, I, I saw it was the, uh, the chaotic neutrals everybody hated. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what to say to that except I know that I'm chaotic good. Well, uh, in your defense, Jim, I saw the video of the celebrity game you guys played down in Texas, and you seem to do quite well in that as a player. See, quite well is is an interesting statement. The people sitting around me didn't agree with you. <laughs> well, <laughs> as a spectator, I enjoyed it. Oh, there we go. See, that's the beauty of the term interesting, because, well, like the Chinese curse, you know. Uh-huh. Well, I'm constantly in interesting times, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Jim, you want to do the next one? Yeah, okay. It's a reader or a listener question that I probably already know the answer to, but, Jim... What's your very favorite OD&D class to play? Wizard. Yeah. I love throwing magic spells. I just can't get enough of it. Rock on. I've written, I've written many books on the topic. I've, I've got a couple products that are ready to go with some company that just deal with spells. I, I, think, I think they're just wonderful. And, and so I, I devour new spell books and, and people who do spells different ways. James? I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, well, if you're at North Texas RPG Con, I will go out of my way to introduce you to full-on gamer. Okay. It's exactly the same way you are. Well, that's not a bad thing. Oh, no, yeah. no. And I'm glad you're doing it. <laughs> On a side note, do you personally prefer Vangian systems or different ones? I, I didn't hear that, the system. Uh, Vangian, you know, the standard fire and forget of D&D, um, or do you prefer you know, spell yeah. points, or that sort of thing? That's, that's another really great question. Here's the deal with that. I learned everything at the feet of Gary Gygax. So all of my monster pronunciations are Gygaxian monster pronunciations. And so all of my my fun times with spells and magic are, are AD&D-style systems. Okay. Okay. I just, I just can't, I've, I've done other ones. But they just don't appeal to me. It's kind of what you learn first, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to slip my uh, question I've been saving in here just because this is an appropriate moment. Um, Uh-oh, here it comes. No, this is good. This is good. I just I just want to hear – I think I know, but I want to hear the story f- straight from you. In the uh, Greyhawk supplement, the ninth-level spell, Meteor Swarm. I, oh. I'll, I'll read it re- real quick. It says, Meteor Swarm, a blast of four fireballs, parentheses, gem, exclamation point, thrown in whatever pattern the caster desires, each of 10 to 60 points damage, or eight fireballs, parentheses, gem, exclamation point, so on and so forth. Yes. Can you fill us in on the... I I, I think that's a playtester being uh, called out in the middle of a spell. Fireballs Uh, of gem? What? (laughs) Here's the deal. Remember, I was in on the formative stages of these rules, and Rob was writing that book when we were playing, and... 
I logically tried to argue with him that it says meteor swarm. It doesn't say fireball swarm, plasma swarm. <laughs> when it says meteor swarm, it means meteors. You know, big hunks of iron. And Rob yeah, said, no. a meteor is larger than a meteorite. <laughs> well, come on now. Meteors, meteors can be of many different sizes. But anyway, Rob and I went back and forth. And then one day, Rob comes, comes up to Gary and, and says, Gary, Jim thinks that meteor swarm means meteors. And I'm saying he's crazy. <laughs> it's fireballs. Which one is it? And Gary smiled at Rob you know, kind of a, kind of a, uh, uh, boy, you guys just don't know anything, smile, and walked away from both of us. <laughs> so Rob got permission to put that verbiage in the book so that for all time the world would know that meteor swarms weren't meteors, which is, of course, totally wrong. They had to get fireballs. And then he had and to that, gloat about it. Yeah, of course. So that's that simple story. <laughs> All right, from now on, my meteor swarms are going to be meteors. They're going to pelt and, people And, well, they should be. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> or I can call them the fireballs of Jim. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got enough spells named after me that you probably shouldn't do that. Yeah, knowing me, I'll make it dirty somehow. Okay. <laughs> Liz, next question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um our next question is, since the Hyborian myths are in the G, comma, DMGS, comma, H supplement, did you ever play an OD&D game within the Hyborian setting? Did anyone? If so, what was that like? Well, TSR had a marvelous um, Conan role-playing game. So we got lots and lots of practice, but that was that was years after... And I guess we shouldn't say the product that you said the initials of, Liz? <laughs> no, well, it was just that somebody did that for abbreviation. Oh, I see. So Gods, Demigods, and Heroes was the pamphlet that I wrote. Yeah. Where we put in, where we put in the, the Conan mythos. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we, we did a little playtesting, but not too much then. But TSR did get the license. And I wrote a Conan Analyst Quest book. I helped in the writing of the Conan role-playing game. And uh, I just... I just love all those books, and uh, actually had several debates with Elspreg de Camp about his treatment of the Howard license and Conan. I, I disagreed with him a little bit about the mythos, but naturally Elspreg, being a famous author, got to do it any way he pleased. <laughs> so, but uh, I, I'm very familiar with it. I have indeed played in that mythos without dying, I'm proud to say, and uh, it was fun. So was there any playing back in the late 70s, or was this mostly waited until the actual game was under construction? Sure, no, that's a good question. We, we, did, uh, we probably did three or four sessions of, uh, of invading a temple of sets and uh, fighting the, the Stygian priests um, with, with Conan and other characters. Naturally, the, the one big problem, and the only one really that we, we saw was everybody wanted to play Conan. Sure. Well, yeah, that and it's hard yeah. to play a magic user in uh, Hyboria because that makes you evil. Yeah, well, that's very true too. <laughs> and generally, anybody that associates with Conan end up getting killed by the end of the story. If they're attractive enough, they live. Well, if they're oh. female and attractive, yeah, yeah. So that was that story. 
Okay. <laughs> Very nice. Glenn? Um, I think that's it for that segment. And we'll be going into DM's workshop next. Oh, well, let's move on into there then. Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. But this isn't science. It's more like black magic. Better. Stronger. Faster. Oh, yeah. It's all coming together. Welcome to the Dungeon Master's Workshop. Now, these questions tend to involve more being behind the screen. Okay, I've got a question here. It says, do you have a particular process for game design that you follow? For example, does the setting come first, or does a particular game mechanic inspire the game, or what? Well, you know, many people do it many different ways. I always start with an outline first, actually. So um, let me give you a good example. Um, I had to write a novel um, that that they gave me just a short time to do it, and it was called uh, Midship Wizard. And basically, I, I knew that I wanted to write a fantasy story about a wizard on a ship, and I knew it wanted to be like a hornblower novel with magic. Hornblower is kind of a Napoleonic-era um, style shipping. Cool. Was so, that the Halcyon Bly? It was. It's a good book. I have it. I need. To, I keep for that. I keep forgetting to bring it with me to get Jim to sign it. But oh. I've got a paperback version of that. I have a signed so, hardback. So anyway, to get back to it, I I started out with an outline about the action that I wanted to happen in this story, and then I did a bunch of research. Um, and research is always vital to any project I do. When I did the uh, of gods and Man- monsters for troll lords. Basically, that was a book about different pantheons with uh, adding clerics and monsters and spells. I did an outline deciding what pantheons I wanted to do, and then I did research on those pantheons. So for me, it's, it's the process is always the same. Somebody gives me a topic, and then I write down an outline, just rough things that I think I could do with it, and then I do a ton of research, and then I start writing. Hmm. Ah, the joy of research. Yes, the joy of research. (laughs) That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. DM Jim. I'm getting all the funny questions in a rotation. Okay, the question is... Really coincidental. (laughs) The the (laughs) foremost answer. Uh, Jim, one of our listeners wants to know what your least favorite project is that you've worked on. You know... That you can talk about. Oh, yeah, really. I, I actually, I'm kind of like a proud father with my projects. Um, I, I really have to say that I just love everything that I've done in the past, especially I love the fact of when I can type the end at the end of the project. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's really kind of a powerful moment for me. And, uh, and I've done, you know, I've done literally a hundred different products and every single one of them I consider my, my son or daughter in that, uh, I see really good points about them, and, and naturally, as a writer with writer's disease, I, I always see things that I could have added after the fact. But I really don't dislike anything that I've done, which could be a little strange, but that's just the way I am. 
Let me let me take a shot at a follow up question and twist this into something that's a good question. Um, twisted, aha! Uh-huh. Why am I not surprised? because uh, I'm a twisted individual. <laughs> yes. I, I know that you have uh, written many things, obviously by yourself, and many things uh, collaboratively with others. Do you have a preference? Do you rather write the whole thing uh, bow to Stern, or would, do you enjoy uh, more collaborating with other writers? You know, I would rather do it all by myself. I don't want to sound egotistical, but especially at TSR. When I was working those 20 years, um, there was time constraints in that they had to be done in a certain time period, which I didn't have a problem with, but it was difficult to get the project done in that time period because I had other things to do, like management or like other writing. So I would pick up a, a partner who, was, who kind of had our same mindset, and we'd do things like products or, or novels. But I really like working by myself because... Um, myself rarely gives me an argument. Right. <laughs> so that's I noticed you I, didn't I, say never gives you an argument. Oh, just no. rarely. <laughs> <laughs> Oftentimes I call myself a bonehead as I'm writing. <laughs> so usually when you did work with someone else, did you were able to choose your partner or were there times when you were given someone to work with and it's like, okay, you will be working with so-and-so uh, and that's it. <laughs> see, that's kind of, yeah, that's a great question, but it's bordering on the nasty. Actually, there were several times where I was ordered to have a partner who I didn't want to work with at all, but because I was little management and the person doing the ordering was big management, I didn't have a choice. Ah. Mm-hmm. It happens to the best of us. Yeah. Uh, so that just came to me though, because you know when you were talking earlier, you know you mentioned you know you would choose someone. It's like wow, you got to choose the people you worked with. That's pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> it was cool. It was when I was one of the bigger, bigger bosses. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the some... vice president of product. You have the right to say who you're going to work with. Yeah, when I'm speaking to some of my uh, fellow professors. Uh, one of the suggestions I always hear over and over is instead of giving everybody an assignment, why don't you just give an assignment to groups of students, assign groups, and have them all do it? I said, no, I will not do that because when I was taking classes, I hated that because I was always the person that actually gave a damn and did all the work while everyone else just coasted in on what I did. Yeah, there you go. And I'm feeling well. I can't do that to other people because I hated it so much. So sure. even if it means more work for me, I'm not going to, you know, let the people who actually do the work get the credit. Yep, I'm with you. Well, I'm always full of admiration for creative types who can, uh, who even are capable of collaboration because I struggle with it. Uh, the, for the version of my comic that was in Gagax magazine, uh, the uh, editor wanted it hand colored, which I didn't have the time or the skills to do and i got a colorist and um she she did a a wonderful job but it still wasn't colored the way i would color it you know that kind of thing Ah. creative control freakishness yeah yeah artists like that yeah that's good (laughs) i myself can't draw a straight line with a ruler so neither could i (laughs) okay have well, we finished that horrible question up? <laughs> I yeah. think so. Okay. Uh, it gets worse from here. Okay. <laughs> All right. Our next question we were given um, asks, overall, what involvement in classic D&D are you the most proud of? 
And what do you think was just thrown together for the sake of putting something in there? <laughs> You've kind of half answered that, but wow, these you have some real haters in your group, don't you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my goodness! You should have seen the ones we threw out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, for D and D, you know, I, I really have to say, you know, uh, gods, demigods, and heroes was a good watershed for me, and uh, it was one of the few D and D things I did actually when when I started working with Gary. He was in the midst of creating AD&D and needed the most help with that. So one of my first jobs was uh, was helping to uh, proofread and give ideas to uh, the Monster Manual and the Player's Handbook. So I, I did just a little bit of D&D, but mostly I did A&D&D work. And, uh, I mean, fantasy is fantasy, but for, for me, D&D, of course, um, that would be, you know, God's Demigods and Heroes. I, I did a pretty good job. I got a lot of uh, a lot of praise from educators and students who would uh, write me and say, you know, that the book was really useful for them when they were studying different pantheons because I used as much fact as I possibly could gather to make those pantheons. And so the weapons and and some of the spells that the uh, that the gods used were uh, you know right out of uh, historical text. So I'm going to say gods, demigods, and heroes. Well, that's good. That's good. I was actually one of those kids, uh, Jim, when that book came out, because all, for example, Norse mythology, all my Norse mythology came from Marvel Comics until Gods, Demigods, and Heroes. <laughs> and that, and you got me, you got me started on a lifelong study of mythology. Well, that's good. I do have to admit, my version of Thor always was Stan Lee's version of Thor. <laughs> <laughs> I hear. I love that comic book series until I turned him into a frog, and then I canceled my subscription. <laughs> Oh, God, I remember that. That's going to happen. Yeah. So Jack Kirby, oh, yay. Walt Simonson, yeah. Frog of <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. So we also have another question here. What a surprise. <laughs> and you've already talked about this a little bit. Stories about the Monty Hall articles in Dragon, how true were they? <laughs> That's a funny question. And I'll admit it, that one is from me. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, oh, I well, love under those. the bus. Thanks. So here's the deal with Monty Hall. Um, it always irritated me that people would poo-poo the Monty Hall concept, and so I started writing these articles about a mythical Monty Hall and his gang of of players and adventurers, and I cranked up the extremeness of of the the role-playing play and miniatures play. A thousandfold. So some of it would be taken from the real gaming that, that Gary Gygax's group and I did, and some of it would be taken from other other uh, places like other magazines. I can remember distinctly one magazine had a uh, article in the magazine about a player character sword. So what happened was the sword would take over the the body of anybody who grasped it and then do terrible things to the body until it died, and then it would lie there in a treasure pile until somebody else grabbed it. Yeah, I was gonna, that was specifically a question I was going to ask. Did you actually have somebody playing that weapon, or was yeah, that no, just the like, extreme for the, for the stories? Yeah, that was as extreme as I could make it in the story. So basically all the Monty Hall stories are like extreme exaggerations of things that happened in the games that we played. 
you know, you satire. Know, you, know, you know what this sounds like? Um, he could probably sue Jolly Blackburn because this is, sounds like the uh, prototype for the Knights of the Dinner Table. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm just thinking that Jolly obviously read those articles because there's a whole storyline in Knights at Dinner Table that's just like that. Ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I would never think of suing Jolly. He's a fine fellow. <laughs> no, I, but, uh, yeah, he's a cool guy. When, when, you're, when you're around forever, um, things do get copied of yours, and I've certainly been around forever in the role-playing industry. A lot like mold or fungus. <laughs> <laughs> Intelligent, radioactive mold or fungus. The best kind. <laughs> and just as dangerous. Anyway, next question. Jim? Okay, well, now i got a good question. Um, can you tell us some about your current projects with Eldritch Entertainment? What an idea. Oh, it says entertainment. <laughs> I know better than that. Eldritch Enterprises. Let me say Thank it. you very much. Well, plug away. Okay. Basically, we're, uh, we're trying to put out a product a month starting in May. And uh, the first thing I do every, every Monday morning is write a blog page for the Eldritch Ent website. Um, and currently, I'm working on a product called Dark Colony. We came out with a science fiction product called Dark Outpost. It was about a satellite up in space that got infected by deadly fungi, intelligent fungi. And then, yes, and then um, Chris Clark and I worked on a product called Dark Visitor. It was about the mother ship, the fungi mother ship that came to investigate where its little scout ship went. And the, the humans have to deal with this gigantic miles and miles long and wide um, ship that's come into the this solar system that wants to do harm to lots of things. Um, and we got that finished, and that's going to be out in the next couple of months. But then we decided, well, and that was a nice collaboration between Chris and I. Chris makes amazing maps, and it's just a, uh, just a pleasure to work with because he's pretty much as crazed as I am. <laughs> we did almost the exact same research on fungi and lichen when we were writing our product. And now I'm working with Tim Kask on this uh, this thing called Dark Planet or, or Dark Colony where uh, the fungus has invaded down on the planet. And and everybody's expecting, okay, we, we live through the fungus on the on the satellite, we live through the fungus on the on the spaceship. Now all we have to do is live through the fungus on the planet, but Tim has thought of a brilliant, brilliant twist. And so we're going to make this product, and there'll be lots of dangerous fungi, but the twist is what's going to just drive people nuts and hopefully have them play over and over again as they die a thousand times um, down on the planet. <laughs> That's interesting marketing, replayability through player character death. Yes, exactly. Don't be funnier than me, Jim. I'm the guest host here. Yes, sir. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I, well I, I, Jim's, Jim's voice is still changing, so, you know. I have, <laughs> I have another. I have a question about uh, one of the, uh, your other Eldritch products, uh, Squirrel Tower. I know last year Tim was very pleased with himself because he ran a game that avoided the total party kill by having it built into the adventure a total party sleep. But I understand you one-upped him this year when you were playtesting Squirrel Tower. I did indeed. Tim and I are kind of, we're kind of fighting a losing battle. We, this thing called TPK, Total Party Kill, we, we really don't like it that much. I, I don't like killing all the characters in the game. It kind of, I think it kind of reflects badly on the referee, but when characters do silly things, they just die. But 
This year, I think I one-upped Tim. He slept all his characters last year in a game that he was playing. I thought that was brilliant. Really, I did. This year, I turned, and, and I didn't do it, of course. They did it themselves. Right. All the players turned themselves into nine-foot-tall, ravenous black squirrels. Ooh, sweet. So you had a yes. total party squirreling. Yes, it was, it was a total party squirreling. I was quite Dire sorry. squirrels. Sounds like they yeah. went nuts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? That's good, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that happened in Squirrel Tower. Hopefully that will come out in the next two months. Well, if uh, do you know the blog address? Or if you don't, you can just send it to us. We'll put it in the in the announcement sure. for the show. Oh, great. So people can go I'm sure Jim, Jim will help me do that. Yes, and uh, just for uh, quick-fingered listeners, it's eldridgeint.com, and that's the main site, and all the uh, participants and partners' blogs are right there in the main nav. Cool. Indeed. Eldridge, the, you sp- uh, look in the dictionary, okay? <laughs> <laughs> or get your copy of Eldridge Wizardry and uh, type it in from yeah. there. All Stop these- staring at the cover and look at how Eldridge is <laughs> right. All you kids out there don't know how to spell... You know, I've discovered that designers generally don't know how to spell. Really? <laughs> really. Yep, I use a spell checker all the time. Plus, I have a wonderful program. Let me get that up. I'll get you the name. This this program is amazing for writers. It's called writewriter.com, and it's, it's a program that checks not only your spelling but your grammar, which is what I need help for, and uh, and... It just checks everything out so that you don't look silly when you when you go out and print. Okay. I keep making the same silly mistakes when I write. Um, I keep putting they when I when I mean he, and uh, and we try not to use the word hit points in our products, and uh, and so I have to do searches for that. Plus the the this right writer. This is R I G H T W R I T E R right writer. Uh-huh. It, it's wonderful for spotting long sentences, or uh, uh, it really hates the word that. Recommends you get rid of that. It really hates the word well, W-E-L-L. It really hates the word it. And so it helps you find all those things in your writing so that you can become uh, a clearer, better writer. I'll have to check that out because uh, right now my spell and grammar check program is named Tim Cask. <laughs> well, that's a mistake, buddy. That'll lead you down an ugly path. Yeah, mine's named DM Liz, so yeah, I married mine. There you go. At least, at least that path is attractive. Yep, <laughs> absolutely. Yep. Helped get my thesis passed. Yes. Sir. Anyway, time to move on. Okay, Liz, your turn. We are. Well, we are going to be going to random encounters next. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. Isn't someone going to say random encounters? <laughs> we take what we want and leave the rest. Just like your salad bar. Nothing up must leave. Presto! You <laughs> will come out no more. What? Huh? What'll come out no more? Random encounters. When? Random encounters. How's that? <laughs> Every time Liz announced. Every time Liz announces, I think you're in a skimpy suit with like those round cards they hold up at the. Uh, Boxing Ooh, I'm pretty sure I'm not allowed to go encounters. there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. 
Yeah, but she has. Hey, 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 hey. She does have uh, nice legs. Sorry, that was that was thirty pounds ago for me. <laughs> nice, Not going to be happening anymore. Still have nice legs. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what my question is is, what are what are your favorite creature, module, setting, and spell? We can take those one at a time, I guess. Wow, that's a lot of work. I, <laughs> I know the first one. My favorite creature is a Tyrannosaurus Rex. T-Rex? Interesting. Yeah, I love the T-Rex because it's so brutally powerful. It's, it's kind of like a big battering ram. And it doesn't really matter what level you are. If you're facing a T-Rex, you're in big trouble. <laughs> so I really like that one. I also like uh, Quicklings because Quicklings? they're so fast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, short little so guys that go blurring speed. But the Tyrannosaurus Rex is, I try to put it in most of my products. It's kind of hard to do on the Starship Warden, but I've managed. <laughs> <laughs> and if you have certain right. settings, halflings can ride them. Yeah, that's very true, too. People can ride them. <laughs> People can ride them, yeah. I've never had that done, but anyway, Tyrannosaurus Rex for that one. What about module? Boy, favorite module. You know... That's an interesting question because I I never use them. Um, I uh, wow. I, well, I think I think the Dragonlance set of modules was brilliant in conception. I wish I would have thought of it, but I didn't. Um, but uh, I, I guess I guess I'll say uh, the Scarlet Wizard's Tower because I wrote it. There you go. Good reason. Good yeah. reason. Yeah. No. Yeah. Next. Oh, a setting. Well, I really love ancient Egypt. I haven't done a lot of writing on it, but boy, I bet I've read, I bet I've read 20 books and I bet I've, I've studied it a ton. One of these days I'm going to come out with this great big campaign setting. And you know, other people have done it and failed horribly. <laughs> and I hate, I hate doing things that failed horribly, but I, I really have to someday write an ancient Egyptian campaign. I, I know what you mean. Fun. Uh, yeah. from, what, from what I've seen, the Egyptian mythos is kind of, not mythos, but the Egyptian setting seems to be kind of a t- tough nut to crack. Well, you know, the pro- one of the problems is it's 6,000 years old. <laughs> the gods actually grow old and die. <laughs> wow. There's a lot there, yeah. There is a lot there. And each city was vastly different. And uh, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, just, it's just a fun setting that I, I like pretty much above all else. Okay. What a, okay, this is, here's a slam dunk. What's your favorite spell? You know, I have to tell you, it's not a slam dunk. Okay. Okay. Because um, that well. one has fireballs in it. it, it doesn't, <laughs> your favorite spell doesn't start with the word dramage? You know, that that's the problem. I, 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 have, a, I have a dramage instant summons. Oh, by the way, you'll all be interested to know that, that uh, dramage, of course, is Jim Ward's spelled backwards, and that... <laughs> Uh, Wizards of the Coast thinks they own it, and I can never use it. Oh. What? Oh. I know. My own name backward, and I can't use it. What a bummer, huh? Not I got a cease, cease and desist letter on it. God. I think you should take Watsy and spell it backwards and use it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what an idea. Perhaps. So, uh, as far as spells go, I, uh, the Magic Jar, I think, is close to my favorite, just because... I used the magic jar a lot in the early days, and just because of what I did, Gary changed the spell totally. <laughs> what did you in the do? old days, you used to be able to pick your target, and you'd, and you'd either get in or, or not get into the body. But uh, I did that and, and ruined his fire giant module. 
I got into the queen's body and she started ordering all the giants around and it caused Gary terrible problems. And the next day he said, Jim, um, you'll be, you'll find this interesting. And I said, what Gary? And he says, I completely changed the magic jar spell. (laughs) Just because of my brilliant gameplay, the spell changed tragically. That that is 10 spoonsfuls of awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So unfair. And we think we're clever. Boy, those guys. Uh-huh. <laughs> you guys. Man, oh, man. Well, kind of a follow-up question to that. Is there any particular encounter setting that you've designed that you just are so are really proud of above all others? When you say encounter setting, what what do you mean? Uh, I mean like a trap, a, maybe an ambush with a certain monster or group of monsters. Encounter. Uh, a death machine hiding under a pillowcase. Oh, you know. Oh, yeah. So, 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 you know, some little trick you've used that you really like. The, the front door to Squirrel Tower? Uh, the front door to Squirrel Tower. Jim's probably right. I, actually, I do that trick a lot, actually. Um, and basically, the, the, the front door to the Squirrel Tower is the toughest encounter in the whole adventure, in that anything you do to it, anything you do to it, will turn you into a nine-foot-tall ravenous squirrel. And so you really want to get into the tower, but... The problem is you can't because of the door. And uh, I've had, I've probably played that that uh, that module, that adventure that I wrote. I've probably played it like thirty times now, and we've spent a good hour, hour and a half on that door. And uh, I, I turn at least half the party into squirrels. And uh, <laughs> and there there is there are several ways to get into the tower, but uh, one thing I discovered about players. Um, today in this day and age they, they just aren't careful at all they aren't cautious they aren't careful you know there, there's a there's a giant face of a demon on the wall and it's got its mouth wide open what do you want to do and invariably all of them will jump in the mouth have you they seen won't bother that, they, <laughs> have you seen that little cartoon that's been going around with that demon head and inside uh, the mouth is the phrase "free ice cream." <laughs> oh, well, there you go. That that's just exactly what we're experiencing. They, they the players, and I hate to say in my day and age, but in Gary's group when we played, you know, he taught us to be cautious. He taught us not to pull levers. He taught us not to press buttons. You know, <laughs> he 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 taught us to take things very carefully and very slowly, and. Uh, and survive. I mean, I survived in the Tomb of Horrors when hardly anybody did, and uh, and my and my friends and players all survived too. Some of them weren't very nasty about it. I mean, I can remember Robolar took a hundred orcs into the tower and made them walk first. <laughs> so so they, they died by the scores, but he didn't care. But uh, it, the, the, you just aren't taught caution, and so pretty much convention after convention. I'm seeing people just dive into things willy-nilly, and, and they're surprised when they die. Well, Jim, in your, in your honor, we invented a game turn at CincyCon last month. Uh, Michael oh. Curtis was, was running us through a play test of one of his Dungeon Crawl Classics adventures, and uh, we get in this place that's buried in a glacier, and suddenly the walls are circular, and they seem to be made of ceramic clay, except our swords won't dent them, and and. Uh, you know, I knew what was going on the second he just starts describing that. So I, I said, okay, I'm invoking the Jim Ward protocol. If you see a blinking light, don't touch it. <laughs> <laughs> there we go, yes. I, I did actually read that on Facebook. 
And uh, I wanted to change it just a little bit in that if you see a blue thing, don't touch it. My my normal <laughs> players that I play with, they when they when they see blue things, they start to realize that I'm tired and there's going to be a lot of death. <laughs> <laughs> Time to wrap this up. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of a signal to them. <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. Okay, well, we are, if anyone has any other questions, let's zip over and do Products of Your Imagination. Your dungeon master has placed you in a dreadfully precarious position. Where are the Cheetos? They're right next to you. Well, all you do is we play the characters we talked about earlier when we run around and stuff. I want to show you a trick Mother showed me when you weren't around. Use your lightning bolt. Victory is yours. I'm attacking the darkness. <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons game. Products of your imagination. You're not there. You're getting drunk. Products of your imagination. Uh, 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 uh. There we go. I like that little uh, we have an audio blurry blurry there. We have an audio wizard who drops bumpers into between those segments. Yeah, that's... Really? Bumpers? You're welcome, uh-huh. folks. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never know. <laughs> if you want, if you you know, if you got enough money, I could take you right out of the show if you want. <laughs> I could edit you well, right out. When when people take pictures of me and and I know they're going to post them on Facebook, I beg for them not to put the head of a goat on my body. So what I'd like to do with you guys, if we could possibly avoid me making, uh, possibly avoid me looking like an idiot, I'd really appreciate it. Never works for me. <laughs> I don't think it's possible for you to look like an idiot. Oh, something worse? Well, not any more idiotic than we do. Let's. Oh, there we go. Oh, say, okay. Between Glenn and I, we we can be your sacrificial idiots. Yeah, we, uh-huh. we, we are all here to make you look good in comparison. Exactly. Oh, that sounds just, great. Just think of Jim and I as um, idiocy heat sinks. <laughs> all right. Idiocy hirelings. That's it. Yeah, we're the red shirts you send into the dungeon first. Ah, uh, the red shirts, yes. I still get a little nervous when I see people in red shirts knowing their fate. <laughs> it's a blue button. I better press it. <laughs> Liz, do you want hey, to pick the first one? On Products oh. of Your Imagination, we're going to talk about one specific item, namely Uh-oh. gods, demigods, and heroes. What a fine product. And that's where <laughs> these questions come in. Okay, is this the only thing you could find of mine? Is that why we're doing it this way? I, I wrote a hundred things. You want to talk about the one product I wrote 37 years ago? Well, we we had to find something that was the most iconically classic D&D. And oh, I see. Okay, then, then I'm with you. Much the most Jim Wardy thing we could find that didn't have to do with squirrels. Ooh, there we go. <laughs> so naturally, I don't have that in front of me, so you guys are going to be at a big advantage. So let's, let's see what we can do. Go ahead. Okay. Well, our first question about the product is, how did the concept of gods, demigods, and heroes first come up at TSR? Yeah, okay, excellent question. Basically, uh, I was playing um, D&D with Gary, and he was working on AD&D. And I said to him, Gary, you know, we really need some gods um, and, and the monsters of gods in your game. Gary had, Gary had his own Greyhawk pantheon, but um, there was lots of people who... And his own players who wanted to be, you know, have Egyptian gods, wanted to have Roman gods, wanted to have, wanted to be like the, uh, the Hyperborean gods. 
So I said, Gary, let's let's write up something like that. And he looked at me and said, Jim, why don't you give that a try? Because I just gotten done. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just gotten done writing uh, *Metamorphosis Alpha*, and he liked that. And so he he encouraged me um, to to write that up with uh, with Rob Kuntz as a helper. And uh, and so that's what we did. So it was it was basically me suggesting that it would be fun to do. Because in those days, nothing was done. You know, everything was brand spanking new, and every idea worked. I mean, they were looking, looking hard for, for different things to write. Yeah. So pretty much any suggestion was, was used by somebody. You know, I find it interesting that you had God's, God's Demigods and Heroes for original D&D, and then basic D&D from Holmes on went on with gods? What gods? Until finally you get to, like, Mentor, you come up with Immortals. And I uh-huh. asked, what happened to God's demigods and heroes? Sure. Was that a kind of a reaction to the '80s, you know, backlash against D and D? You know, because no, that no, was I don't this. think so. I think it was just a matter of there was so much to write that uh, that that just fell off the list. Okay. I mean, clerics weren't ignored, and there were still clerical spells, but yeah, the the yeah. pantheon. They're just a lot of work. Because mm-hmm. you know, I I look I went when I went back to basic. The first thing I said was, "How do the clerics get their spells?" Oh, there's concept faith and stuff. I said, "No, no, no, no. They gotta have a pantheon." <laughs> yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Well, and basic, they probably expect the DM just to start making it up himself. Well, well at least Jerry did. Yeah, and Holmes always kind of get made the assumption of a kind of pseudo-Catholicism, you know, we won't call it that, but your cleric is a, is a brother and he's running around with crosses and, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah, good old Holmes, you know, he had, he had the most difficult um, job of all. He had this big wall in front of him of turning the college-level text that Gary wrote into something that could be read, you know, by, by high schoolers and lower. So I think that just that concept alone in his head um, would limit the things that uh, he could he could put in it. Mm-hmm. He did a brilliant job, though. He did a great job. He really did. Yeah. So I got another question here. Within God's Demigods and Heroes supplement, did you and Rob Kuntz work together on each pantheon or divide them up? And if you did, divide we divided them. Up, them yeah, we divided them up actually. Okay, which ones did you work on? Uh, you know. For for many reasons, I'd rather not get into that. Okay. Okay. You you did them all then. Fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be happy to tell you off the air. Okay. Well. Okay. Fine. Liz, our, it's your turn. <laughs> the really good ones were the ones that Jim oh, yeah. worked in. Thank you. All you the can best figure ones, out yeah. which. <laughs> Yeah. Which ones did you like? I did those. <laughs> I hope this isn't going to be our next contest. No, yeah. no. I hope not either. Okay. Um, the next question we have is, how long did it take to write God's Demigods and Heroes? Oh, good question. It took. I was a teacher then, teaching history and English at a little high school, and uh, I had the I had the summer. I had exactly three months to get that product done, and I did it on a typewriter. Basically, what uh, what uh, the TSR boys did was they gave me a form for each god, and actually, it actually was a generic form, and then I would take it and put it on the typewriter and type in the god and all the statistics that I found, 
and uh, all the additional material and uh, and send back as I finished Pantheons, I'd send them back for editing and typesetting. So exactly three months. This had to be done by the um, by the tenth of August, I think, when school started. Wow! Excellent. Cool. Well, okay. I've got. I think I've got a good question here. How how did you go about deciding which Pantheons to use and which ones uh, not to use? I'm happy to say they gave me a very free hand. Um, they they told me the size that they wanted. Um, and so I, I kind of wrote the size and I picked a list and I talked it over with Gary. We had many discussions about this first product. And I, in fact, I can remember one discussion vividly. I wanted to give the gods a thousand hit points, the, the head gods a thousand hit points. Gary was dead set against that. He, he wanted them actually to interact with players. And I was kind of dead set against that. Hmm. So we had debates back and forth. Um, and I think we wound up giving Odin like 400 hit points, as I recall. So but, he wanted them killable. Well, see, we didn't we didn't consider them killable. That's that's another good question. We we said they went down to the prime material plane. They talked. They did their thing. Most of the time, they always made their saving throw. And when you did kill them, they just go back to their their uh, their own plane of existence. Ah, okay. So maybe defeatable would be a better term. Yeah, I think that would be a much better term. Good, good, uh, okay. good analogy. Yeah. yeah. We actually did that back in the day. We we sent Tiamat back a lot of times. Yeah, and that's just wrong. That's just wrong. She's got this great spell. She calls it a meteor swarm. <laughs> <laughs> we were young. Yeah. Plus, <laughs> was the Tiamat on the cartoon? In which case, she was. Rather easily defeated, I always. That was bad when I was like in seventh grade, and I'm sitting there in front of the show shouting that Tiamat should not be beaten that quickly. <laughs> I, I quite agree. <laughs> they only had 20 minutes to do it in. <laughs> yeah, very good point. Okay, here, here's another question we got, and I have a follow-up after that. Were there any pantheons you wished you had added? Ooh, now see, I've written a total of three different um, Gods and Monsters books. And, and naturally, with every single reiteration, I add fun things and interesting things. Um, I wish I would have spent lots more time on the temples and the, the, the special things that each pantheon gives. You know, the fact that uh, Egyptian priests had to be bald. And, uh, and the fact that, that mainly Thor was much more of a, a leader and an important figure than Odin was. Um, in, in the Viking pantheon. So th- there are a couple additions that I wish I would have been smart enough to do in the beginning. But again, you know, in the 70s, it's all new, it's all bright and sparkling, and nobody knew anything about anything. So it just the stuff hadn't been thought of yet. So you could say, like, Thor wore a bunny hat and they'd buy it. <laughs> yes, yes, you could have. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Adventure time! But anyway... <laughs> And the follow-up question is? Um, did they... Sh- I don't understand. Actually, this is the second half of the, the first question. said, did they show up in Deities and Demigods? Yeah. Were the improvements... Oh, the new ideas. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, things you wished you had added in the first book, oh, okay. did any of those show up in the following Deities and Demigods? Sure. So let me give you that car analogy again. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so, Gods and Demigods and Heroes, a wonderful Model T Ford. 
didn't have very good breaks, didn't start very easily. So we get up to Didi's and Demigods, and I have the technology now to give great air breaks, and I have the technology now to make it start really easy. So I'm not going to not use that technology. I'm going to put it in the product. And then we get to Of Gods and Monsters, and I'm almost rocketing into outer space. Okay. Fair enough. And now my follow-up question. I, I, this is just a personal question I want to ask you. Have you ever read Judges Guild Unknown Gods? Yes, I have. Okay. Um, quick opinion on that. You know, I have to tell you, I really liked almost all the Judges Guild stuff. Okay. Uh, they, they were doing things... They were doing things we couldn't do because they had more people to put on it than we did right. in the early days of TSR. Okay. And some of those ideas were absolutely wonderful. Uh, uh, the only thing I really never liked was Duck Tower. Oh, really? <laughs> Which is like famous classic thing. Uh-huh. Gotcha. I, yeah, just... I, got it. I got a copy of that, and I was rather disappointed after all the hype. Sure. Yeah. I was wondering about I know gods because that came out at the time where it was basic like Holmes BX D and D where they sort of forgot about all the gods and they were trying to fill a gap. Yeah, they did a great job. And I was just wondering if you'd see that that it influenced you any or anything. And as far as influence, I don't think so. I try I try very hard not to be influenced. Oh, okay. Jim, did you have a question? Um. Well, we, we've talked around it, but the last question I've got here on the list, uh, somebody wants you to sort of give yourself a grade on the book with the hindsight of today. You, you've kind of done that with the car analogy. Uh, yeah, well, that's... Yeah, well, we you normally... know, at the time period, you know, I, I have to give it an A, but, but like in today's day and age, I wouldn't even rate a C, probably. Well, we normally grade one to five dragons, so how many would you, you think you would give? Well, in the year it came out, I'd give it four dragons. Now I, I'd probably give it 2.3 dragons. Okay. Fair enough. Fair well, enough. Holding a prize spot in my game collection, it's a solid five dragons. Oh, and for a, a nice thing to say. And to help on a blatant plug, of, of Gods and Monsters is a supplement for Castles and Crusades, but is generic enough to be used with any classic fantasy game. Okay. Just so everybody knows. Thank you very much. Yes, I do that on purpose now. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing. And you know what? We have one more thing to ask you, and I think Jim one should be the one. Thing. To, I th Jim should be the one to ask. Sure. What well, can you tell us about your uh, cameo in the Dragon Strike video? <laughs> so here I am in Hollywood <laughs> with, with, with a group of people that that don't know a lot about role-playing, and I have to make sure that the the visuals on the, the VCR tape meet with the AD&D the AD rules or fantasy rules in general, and it looks like they're having a lot of fun in the story. So I make the mistake of saying, you know, I wouldn't mind doing something like this. <laughs> and, and so the director gets this big, grin on his face and I should have been filled with fear but I wasn't <laughs> and I get put in the banquet scene oh that sounds like fun and I get put by a very attractive blonde girl which was a lot of fun <laughs> so for three days we sat in the banquet we could eat we could eat plentifully and drink drink uh, colas plentifully and we did banquet things for the scenes 
Um, and then they decided that I needed to really flirt with the blonde and get slapped in the face. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, okay, I guess you know, I, I tried to you know, be a good sport because I'd been telling them a lot of things that they could and couldn't do. And so we, we set the scene up and I, I, I flirt with her and she just like lightly taps me on the cheek. And the, and the director yells, cut. And I know what the problem is. And I say, you know, really, don't worry. I'm, I'm a big boy now. And, and you're just this little slip of a girl. Please just feel free to go ahead and give me a good slap. Oh, wow. So, so we shoot it for the second time. And she does indeed hit me a little harder. But, you know, the director says, cut again. And I know she's just not putting enough oomph into it. So unfortunately for me, she learned how to put oomph in it. And the director decided he needed seven takes. Oh, <laughs> so boy, was my face red by the time we were done with that. Well, this is better than the Stan Lee cameos in the Marvel films. Now, there we go. I love all of them. Well, it's better than what Dave Arneson had to do in the D&D movie, so. Yes. <laughs> Easy now. So that's well, the story. Oh, wow. That's seven cool. takes. Although it's ironic that people in, in Hollywood would not understand role-playing oh my god <laughs> you know, that's, that your that's, job you know? yeah yeah isn't that the truth yeah. but uh no they didn't want they don't want rules with their role-playing they just want to do whatever they want to do i know i'm an actor storytelling <laughs> types yes ah okay touchy feely people do all righty well this winds up our episode we'd like to thank you for coming on jim james it's truly my pleasure thank you dm jim James. Appreciate all the information. No, I'm doing it. it was a pleasure having you with us. Yes, it was. All right. Yeah. And before we go, I'd just like to remind the listeners about our contest we're running right now for iTunes reviews. We would like five stars, but any stars you give us is eligible. We just want a review that makes us laugh. And 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 people who are involved in Wild Games Productions are not eligible. That's that right. Probably means Jim Ward too. And it has to be truthful. Oh, Jim should totally be eligible. Oh, okay. Let's, <laughs> let's make him eligible. Relatively truthful. Yeah, Jim, Jim, Jim Ward should be eligible. Yeah. I, I don't think I could grade you guys because you're so also marvelous. Plus, I'm going to see most of you in Texas, and you guys could shoot me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Oklahoma, so I'm or I live in Oklahoma, so I'm well, there is that. <laughs> It's hard yeah. to get a driver's license here than a gun, but anyway. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeehaw! Well, now if you take the gun and hold up the DMV. Yeah, well. Anyway, and as is our tradition, we will head out on the road to the sound of the, the, the road theme from the Bill Bixby Lou Ferrigno Hulk at the end. I still got to change it. Hey, it's good. It's tradition. And how are we heading down the road, Liz? Ah, I am heading down the road. I don't know how I'm heading down the road, actually. <laughs> I don't have a good you can ride in my chariot, Liz. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm hitching a ride with Jim Ward. <laughs> in his Model T of God's <laughs> Glenn? Classic. I'm, I'm, running to, I'm walking down the road with a copy of Gods, Demigods, and Heroes, and Unknown Gods. Under my, actually, I'm running from the meteor swarm, which happens to be real <laughs> meteorites that really hurt. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, DM Jim. Don't save the half for me. 
I think I'm wandering the ancient Egyptian deck of the Starship Warden looking for blue buttons to push. Uh-oh. Mm. And I am run- riding Tiamat down the road at <sighs> riders of the D&D cartoon wanting- trying to get them to explain why she could be driven off in less than three minutes. I love that idea. <laughs> and so, we are out. Good night, oh. everybody. Good night, everybody. Hi. Good night. Free arc. Good night.